mute there. Okay. Welcome, everyone. It's Good evening, Mama Simon. Nice to see you all. Um, it's uh, just about showtime, so let's get underway. Uh, I want to remember, uh -huh. I need to say now, that next week, unfortunately, my travel schedule means that I won't be able to give you shiur. I'm going to be in Los Angeles, Mitzah uh, Hashem, next Thursday, flying to Baltimore, and that is going to make it impractical to be able to deliver this year in accordance with the time because of the time zones. So I apologize for that. Um, but uh, let's get underway while we are uh, here together or uh, virtually together. Uh, Parshas Chayesara is dominated by the quest for a wife for Yitzchak. Um, but the first part of it, it deals with the legacy of Sarah. And our shir tonight is entitled, Avraham and Sarah Repair the World. And I found a fascinating passage in uh, Al-Sheikh that deals with the subject of tikkun olam. Uh, we say in Aleinu, for that reason, it's very familiar to us all, to repair the world in the uh, kingdom of heaven. And this idea of tikkun olam is found in the Kabbalistic literature, and it has been co-opted by uh, other streams within the Jewish world and has taken on a different meaning than its intended one. And I'd like to just elaborate a little bit on the concept of tikkun olam, and we'll see how it fits in to our uh, great uh, protagonists in this week's parasha, Avram and Sarah. So the idea of uh, Olam HaTikun is that the plan, God's plan for mankind, so to speak, as if to say, uh, proved to be unrealistic. That is to say, the inherent uh, 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 challenge, the inherent tension in the human condition between the spiritual and the material, between the, uh, like, uh, the challenge of leading one's life in accordance with moral and ethical principles, and the circumstance of the human condition in the physical form, uh, that proved to be a challenge that was overwhelming for the human race. So Adam and Eve already uh, quickly set the stage for the downfall of man. And so the Mishnah mentions in Mission Pekayavos, 10 generations from uh, Adam until Noah, and the generations descended and descended until it was necessary to destroy the world in its entirety, other than Noah and his immediate family. Another 10 generations took us from Noah until Abraham. And again, it was all downhill. We have the generation of the dispersal, where the uh, people sought to build a tower to reach heaven and different things in the Medrash as to what was their purpose. But it is evident that they evoked divine disfavor and their plan was uh, disrupted and abandoned and idolatry uh, ruled the world as is clear from anyone who visits uh, any of hundreds of uh, museums around the world of antiquity, uh, paganism, uh, polytheism, frequently of a very crass 
and cruel form uh, was de rigueur in antiquity. The first one to begin the process of olam hatikun, repairing, rectifying the world, was Avraham Avinu. This idea that I'm just summarizing now is found in the Kabbalistic literature, it's found in the writings of the Ari, also others, and uh, it's found in the Zohar, but it's been developed over time, and it's one of the principles of the Kabbalistic worldview, olam hatikun, and the personalities of Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov began the process of repairing the world, by which we mean that having discovered, so to speak, that mankind collectively uh, is unable to rise above the uh, lure of physicality and self-centeredness and pursuit of self-gratification and egocentrism, which is part of the human condition, Hashem decided, or Hashem chose, or Avraham chose God, that it's going to be necessary to build a new family, building on the foundations of Avraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, and the Jewish people, to the extent that they are truthful, and they are faithful followers of Avraham Yitzhak Yaakov, they will begin, the Jewish people have the capacity to bring the world back to its state of intended, uh, I was going to say perfection, maybe perfection is, is not quite the right word, but the, the balance, the equilibrium. And of course, uh, this is an ongoing process. Uh, there may be ways in which progress has been made, I would suggest, but this is the idea of Olam Hatikun. Uh, Al-Sheikh makes reference to the, uh, he says, ha-emes, ki Avraham he takes this to a further level, something that I hadn't, have not seen before, at least I don't recall seeing it in the Mepharshim, he shows how Avraham and Sarah, specifically as a couple, together began the process of rectifying, of correcting the errors and the transgressions of Adam and Eve. And here's where Sarah comes into her own in a way that I haven't seen previously in other Mephorshim. I'm sure it's not unique to Al-Sheikh, but this is where I have seen it. I have not seen it before. And he explains as follows, uh, that... <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, he firstly points out uh, a remez to this doctrine, which, as I keep saying, is found in the Zohar, in the Kabbalistic literature. It is not mentioned explicitly that I'm aware of in the Talmud, but he finds a very nice remez to it in the Medrash. The Medrash says, why wasn't Avraham created first? Now, the Medrash here is alluding to another well-known drash Rashi mentions, Bihibaram, Bihibaram has the letters of Avraham, that the world was created for Avraham Avinu. The meaning is, Avraham is the one who began the process of rectifying the downfall of man. Specifically, we have a tradition that, that Adam uh, was equivocating on the oneness of God, and it says uh, that Avraham was a Gilgul of Adam. So Adam, the first man, he came back 20 generations later in the form of Avraham Avinu. Avraham corrected the like fundamental error of Adam, which was a theological error. 
the, the oneness of God was reasserted by Avraham. So the Medrash says, why wasn't Avraham created first? Forget Adam. Let Avraham be the first man, Sarah the first woman. Take it from there. The world will be in a much better position. The drama and the trauma that followed in the subsequent 20 generations could have been avoided. That's what the Medrash asks. The Medrash says that the reason is, that which Adam corrupted, Avraham came to correct, to rectify, to repair. If Avraham had been first, then there's nobody to repair after him. You could say, well, if Avraham would be the first, then he wouldn't have made the, the, the egregious error of Adam. I'm not so sure. Perhaps in those circumstances, uh, even Avraham would have been tempted. We cannot say. But Al-Sheikh simply observes that from this marriage, we see that Avraham's role in the drama of human history is to rectify the error of Adam. I saw this in Rabbeinu Bechaya as well many years ago, that uh, Adam katsatz Avraham yichayid, Avraham established the oneness of God. Therefore, Avraham, in a way, is the father of all monotheists of Hamon Avram is the father of all monotheistic faiths and that assertion is acknowledged by the way by the other daughter religions of Judaism uh, in the form so-called daughter religions I'm not sure we're eager to take credit for them but of Islam and, and Christianity and of course this is the basis for the idea of the Abrahamic faiths so we do find such an idea that Avram is the father the progenitor of all monotheists. And I would say again that the legacy of Avram Avinu continues uh, even in our times and I'm sure beyond as well. What al Sheikh adds though, which to me is a, 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 a fascinating uh, novelty, is he shows how the, uh, he elaborates on this idea of how Avram and Sarah corrected the hate of, of Adam and Chava. He says that uh, Adam and Eve brought death to the world. Abraham and Sarah brought life to the world. Uh, the uh, 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 Adam and Eve, they brought about the curse, as it says that uh, the, the earth will be cursed because of you. And Ada, Abraham and Sarah, through you will be blessed, all of the nations of the world. Uh, Adam was responsible for banishing the Shekhinah to the highest heavens, and Avram and Sarah brought it down. In other words, they introduced the generation to the idea of the accessibility of God, the oneness of God. Um, Adam and Eve like corrupted or damaged the soul, the Eloasuhanefesh, and, and Avram and Sarah, they made the soul, like it says, the souls that they brought near to the service of God in Haram. Uh, the Adam and Eve, they ate and they gave one another to eat. Chava ate, she gave to Adam and he ate. And I think according to the marriage, they gave to the animals as well, but maybe that's not included here. I'm not quite sure. Uh, and Avram and Sarah, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, they gave food to others and they brought life to the world. 
because through their chesed, through giving food and uh, lodging and, and uh, you know, beverage, hospitality, niskayim, uh, through the chesed, niskayim ha'olam, because the earth, the world stands on three pillars. And Avram and Sarah represent the pillar of chesed, so they sustain the world through their chesed. So whereas Adam and Eve ate and brought death to the world, Avram and Sarah provided food and they brought life to the world. And then he says something about Sarah specifically. Chava, according to uh, the Midrashic tradition, it's quite well known. It's hinted to in the Torah. It's not quite explicit in the Torah. But uh, the rabbis understand that this serpent uh, desired Chava. Uh, and that's why he approached her. And that's why he wanted Chava to give the fruit to Adam and Adam would die and he would have Chava for himself. And this is the symbolism of the serpent. I don't think I need to elaborate further on that. We have the tradition mentioned in the Gemara that the, the serpent actually accosted her and, and assaulted her uh, in, a, in a sexual way. And as a result, that expression, so uh, that represents symbolically, by the way, it's not necessarily something that is uh, literal, but it symbolizes the uh, mortality of man, that the, the ultimate Yetzahara, the, the internalization of the Yetzahara became part of Chava and transmitted to future generations, and that set the stage for the mortality of the human race as well. And this is all the, the um, uh, malevolent work of the Nachash of the serpent. So says Al-Sheikh, Sarah was taken twice, once by Paro, once by Avimelech, and she was protected. Her own, uh, let's say, merit and her own, uh, I'm sure, um, you know, uh, refusal to uh, uh, su submit to the advances of Paro and and Avimelech, but I would say more was the merit that Hashem prevented her from being defiled. This is the counterpart. This is the 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 sort of uh, corrective of what happened to Chava. So that is why he says this. That's why Hashem brought it about that Sarah, who is so righteous, who is so. Uh, refined, was so beautiful as well. That's why she was taken uh, into the, the chamber of these uh, despots. And no doubt that was very stressful for her, very traumatic. But it was but it was to rectify, to be the, the, the sort of, uh, to counteract the corruption of Chava. Because of what Chava did, Sarah has come to correct that. And then he adds that Rivka had to do the same. In the next generation, we'll learn in next week's parsha that Rivka also was accosted by Avimelech, probably the next generation, a subsequent generation of Avimelech. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, because he says, because the rectification was not yet completed in, in the through Sarah, but it needed Rivka's sort of... Uh, uh, experience, experience to further that as well. And then he adds on generally that the uh, patriarchs, Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, all shared 
an element of the soul of Adam. The idea of the reincarnation of, I'm sorry, of uh, not reincarnation, but of um, uh, trans transmigration of the soul, I guess it's a form of reincarnation as well, uh, would be called Gilgul, doesn't mean only like one person comes back as another person subsequently, but there can be like a nitsots, a spark of that soul, which is also present in other souls. So he mentions that <clears throat> each of the, of the patriarchs have a connection to Adam in some way, and collectively, Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov began the process of rectifying the downfall of man. And he says later on, this, he says that is why uh, Sarah and Rivka as well were buried in Maras Hamachpele. It's called Kiryat Arba, Hechevron. Kiryat Arba, so Rashi says, one of the reasons it was called Kiryat Arba is because of the four pairs, the four couples who are buried in that cave. That's why Avraham knew exactly which cave he wanted, even though he went through and kind of extended negotiations with the people of the town and the municipal um, authorities, but he knew exactly what he wanted. He wanted the cave of Machpelah, and there were four couples buried there, of whom the first are Adam and Eve. That's why it's called Kiat Arba, because Adam and Eve are buried there, and their successors were uh, the the three patriarchs and their spouses as well, uh, where Yitzchak and Rivka, Yaakov and Leah also were buried there, as well as, of course, Avram and, and Sarah. And then finally, in this uh, passage, he says <coughs> that the three things that Chava corrupted were rectified in the three mitzvahs associated with uh, women. Of course, as we know, it's Chala, Ner, and Nida. So he says that the, um, the, these three things, uh, we find out later in the parasha, Rashi mentions it, that during the lifetime of Sarah, there was a light that illuminated her home from Erev Shabbos to Erev Shabbos. Of course, that corresponds to the mitzvah of Hadlakas Haner. So Sarah excelled or introduced maybe, or, or was uh, uh, associated with that mitzvah of Ner Daluk, also Bracha Matsuya Be'isa, that the, the, the dough was blessed, uh, a bit like Rebetzin Ruthi Zechala, you know, unerring, and it was uh, such exceptional uh, uh, bread, or maybe it rose every time, you know, it never, never collapsed, never disappointed. This, of course, corresponds to Chala, the midst of Chala. And then Anan Kashur, there was a cloud symbolizing the divine presence that was corresponding to the uh, mitzvah of Nida, because Nida is associated with Tahara, that the uh, use of uh, the purification uh, rhythm, that rhythm of purification brings Balidei uh, Tahara, Balidei Ruach HaKodesh, so the presence of the divine, like uh, manifestation on, on her tent, and those left when Sarah died, they were restored when Rivka entered the tent, as Rashi says towards the end of the parsha, that uh, he, Yitzchak, realized that Rivka was the successor to his own mother, Sarah, says uh, Al-Sheikh, that these are the three that correspond to the, the 
the ways, the different ways in which uh, Chava sinned. So just to, to summarize what we've seen so far is that this idea of uh, Olam HaTikun, the world of rectification, or the process of, of correcting, repairing the world has its uh, beginnings in the lives of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. And we see how in the life of Sarah, of the two of them together, and also particularly for Sarah, even her, the fact that she was abducted on those occasions corresponds to and counteracts the downfall of Chava and her unhappy encounter with the Nachash. And Sarah's experience was, of course, the counterpart to that representing like the foundation of the possibility of rectifying that aspect of, of uh, you know, human uh, interaction with regard to the chastity demonstrated by, by Sarah. So this is the uh, Avram and Sarah repair the world. I'd like to now turn uh, later in the Parsha to a different subject entirely. And I want to look together at uh, chapter 24, verses, I think, 49 and 50. If you're with me in the, in the Stone Chumash, it's on page 116. It's, again, chapter 24, Pasuk Memtes, 49. So the Eved Avraham has made his way to Haran. He has, uh, I was going to say surreptitiously, obviously by divine um, uh, providence, he met Rivka. He had already set this, uh, set for himself this, uh, if you like, a challenge or an indicator of who's going to be the right girl. And uh, Rivka clearly has all of those indicators. And the servant of Avraham is convinced that she's the one. And uh, okay, as is very well known, they invite him in. He says, I don't want to eat until I say my piece. Let me tell you what I'm here, what I, why I'm here for, what it's all about. And then he concludes with the words, If you are prepared to perform kindness and truth with my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that as well. And I'll go to the right or the left, meaning uh, I'm here to take Rivka back to marry Yitzchak. If you are amenable to it, if you agree that this is the, the, the right thing in accordance with uh, what I've described to you so far, then let's go. That's great. If not, tell me and I'll move on. The matter comes from God. We are uh, unable to respond. In other words, our Bechire almost has been, has been taken away. Uh, it's so clear, not only clear, but it's, it's um, uh, the, the, uh, not just the evidence. We'll see the distinction that we're getting at. It comes from God. So Al-Sheikh says that regarding a, the question of human free will and divine providence, he refers to an essay that he wrote in another book. I'm not sure whether the book was ever published. Uh, perhaps it was, I'm not certain. But he says that we have developed elsewhere this um, uh, explanation or this sort of uh, analysis of the question of what, um, where, where the divine foreknowledge 
determines human actions or not. And he maintains that it does not necessarily, it's not causative in nature. I don't want to go into all the philosophical possibilities, but he says that divine knowledge does not determine, is not causative and does not restrict human behavior. However, divine uh, declaration, if God says something, then it does. He says that, uh, I said, I've got an essay on this subject. And that, that man's actions are not determined, whether for good or for better, as long as the matter has not come out from the mouth of God, so to speak. If it's only in God's thought, then a person still has the possibility of exercising his own free will. So that's what they said over here. So we've got no uh, agency any longer. It's destined. Says uh, Al-Sheikh, quotes an interesting medrash. The medrash says, I'll read you a few short lines of this medrash. The matter comes from God. Says Where did it come out from God? Where do we find that the matter, you know, proceeded from God? So the first opinion is Mehar Hamoriyatsad went from Har Hamoriyah, Mount Moriah. Where's Mount Moriah? Mount Moriah is the Temple Mount. Uh, that's where the Kotel is. And uh, we know very well where Har Hamoriyah is. But in terms of the chronology, Har Hamoriyah clearly refers to the events of Har Hamoriyah, which happened at the end of last week's parsha. Of course, we are referring to Akedah Sitzchak. But that is still fairly obscure. That's a statement. Verabanan Amrin, the sages say, where did it come out? Where, where do we find that such a matter proceeded from before God? She shall be a wife to the son of your master, as God has said. I'd come out to the manager. So the, again, the two opinions, the manager says, the first possibility is, the second possibility is, from these words of Lavan, where actually it's the, the next pasuk, um, it's verse 51. Here is Rivka, before you take her and go. So ask the Al-Sheikh. The truth is this second pasuk is not quite explicit that it came from God. It just says, as God had said, but it's not nearly as explicit as the first pasuk, which says, Hashem So when the manager says, from where did it come? Meaning, where do we find that this, this statement emerged from God? So it's right there in the pasuk. What is the meaning of, you know, wh where, did it, where did it come from? Uh, I mean, it seems to be explicit. And of course, in the context of the story, the fact that the divine providence demonstrates that it was all in accordance with God's uh, intent that Eliezer should meet Rivka and she should conform to all of his uh, uh, aspirations in terms of a suitable spouse, a suitable bride for Yitzhak and all of that. So what is the Medrash on about? So I want to share with you, he has more than one approach, but the one that I want to share with you tonight is as follows. He says that this idea of Har HaMoriah, of course, it refers to the fact that the Torah says 
towards the end, really, at the end of last week's Parsha, when Yitzchak has uh, survived his close encounters with the knife, and he is rescued by, again, divine instruction from becoming a burnt offering. So Abraham learns at that time of the birth of Rivka. Abraham was told that your uh, that that uh, Milka, who was the wife of Nachor, your brother, has born children, and one of them is called Betuel. And anyway, Rivka has come on the scene. This is the the meaning of Har Hamoriah, the way it's simply understood. So it was like predestined already in Har Hamoriah. Says Al Sheikh, and this is the idea that I, I found fascinating. I want to share it with you. The, there's a well known statement in the Talmud that uh, getting people together in marriage is very difficult, as, as difficult as splitting the sea. And nevertheless, there is a contrasting, which they want to ask, there's a contrasting statement in the Talmud that 40 days before the formation of the embryo, which is a euphemism for the time of conception, there is a heavenly voice which proclaims this one is destined to marry this one. Vas ploni, vas ploni le ploni. So the Gemara says, well, what about the statement that it's so difficult to get them together? And here the statement that it's all predestined sounds as if it's almost uh, just the pieces fall into place naturally and inevitably. So the Gemara says in a somewhat cryptic uh, statement or, or answer, one instance is the first shiduch, the first like uh, 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 pairing. And the second one, the second situation where it's more difficult and even very challenging, indeed, refers to Zivuk Sheni. It's not clear if it means a person who marries once and then marries subsequently. Says Al Sheikh as follows He says the meaning is this He says, this is the, the correct interpretation in his view. And this is the opinion of the Chachmeh Ha'emes, of those who are uh, familiar with the esoteric teachings of the Torah, it means the Kabbalistic teachings, that when it says this one is destined to marry another one, then it means that they have the potential to marry one another if each of them proceeds along the best possible journey in life. The potential that can be reached by each of the two could lead them and should ideally lead them to meet one another, to be perfectly compatible with one another, to, you might say, experience love at first sight, and they should remain together for uh, the duration of their, of their lives together, perfectly matched with one another. The problem is it doesn't happen that way every time. Perhaps it doesn't happen that way often. The second possibility is Lefim Ma'asam, in accordance with his deeds. So he says, uh, Al-Sheikh says, that if he is worthy, then he will marry this, this girl whose destiny was proclaimed at the time of his conception, her conception. 
If not, if he's not worthy, then she'll be taken by someone else. She'll go to someone else who's more deserving than he. He even uses that expression. He says, They'll take her from him. Someone who is better than him. That is the meaning of the second match in accordance with his actions. The resolution to this conundrum is that the first opinion in the Talmud, when it says that Har HaMoriah, so according to that, the family of Rivka said that Yitzchak was a good guy, but you know, he didn't really achieve the level of perfection that makes him worthy for Rivka until Har HaMoriah, until he was bound on the altar. That was the apogee of his personal achievement. That was a defining moment in his life. After that, he became worthy of Rivka. So therefore, according to the first opinion in the Medrash, when it says, it came out from Haramuria. They said that on Haramuria, Yitzchak achieved his, uh, what the Maslow, Abraham Maslow called self-actualization. And at that, as a result of that, he's now worthy for Rivka. They are fated for one another, destined for one another. This is the proclamation 40 days before the conception that they are perfectly suited to one another in marriage. But it was only when he achieved that most exalted level of perfection on Haramoriah. That's one opinion in the Medrash. The other opinion in the Medrash is that uh, when it says... Um, that sorry, the second opinion is my Moriah. The second is Hashem. So the second opinion is that uh, it was destined already from when when Hashem spoke initially and said Ben Ploni Le, um, I'm sorry, Bas Ploni Le Ploni that according to the second view of the Medrash, the, the family of Rivka were not trying to say that he wasn't really worthy of her until Haramoria, but rather they were accepting that it was part of the Baskal, part of the divine intent from the very beginning. So just to summarize what we've seen tonight, I'm sorry we've gone over by a couple of minutes, is we spoke about Avram and Sarah repair the world because they are the Gilgul and the Tikkun for Adam and Eve, and in particular in the ways that we've uh, seen how th their career, Avram and Sarah, represented the antidote and the corrective to the chata'im, to the downfall of Adam and Eve. And in particular, we saw that even Sarah, like, uh, uh, served as the counterpart, the, the, the uh, corrective to Chava, and her experience with the Nachash and Sarah therefore was destined to suffer the trauma of spending the night in the company of Paro and Avimelech. But at the same time, she was spared their physical uh, uh, attention and in this way corrected the hate of of Chava in that way. And then we've seen Hashem and the Chidush is the novelty is the idea of the Zivag Rishon, Zivag Shena. Zivag Rishon is according to the divine uh, like uh, uh, proclamation that is 
correct or is, is achievable only if they both reach their potential. But if that doesn't happen, then it's the fimasa, and it's an, then it's in accordance with his deeds, whether he's worthy or not worthy. And if he's not worthy, then she'll go to someone else and he'll have to find another wife for himself. And that may be quite difficult. But if they, according to what we've seen tonight, uh, since Yitzchak did achieve his highest level of spiritual perfection uh, when he was nearly offered as a korban on Har HaMoriah. So at that point, they realized that indeed it is destined and we have no more agency to try to undermine the divine plan. It's al min HaShamayim. So I know it's been a little bit abstruse tonight, but I hope uh, you've enjoyed it. I have found, again, Al-Sheikh with a lot of uh, insight and uh, creative novel ideas as well. I know that I was praising my friend from last year. Well, I'm pleased to say I've got a great friend for this year as well. So thank you to everyone for uh, for joining us. And uh, those who are in the vicinity of Kasher, we're going to learn about meditation location after the Kiddush tomorrow. And uh, so look forward to anyone who would like to join us. Uh, Please do. And I wish you Shabbat Shalom. So next week, next week, we're not going to have this year. Unfortunately, I'm going to be traveling in the USA uh, next Thursday is Thanksgiving. So happens. So this year will be in recess for next week. We hopefully will be back uh, in um, full vigor the following week. So Shabbat Shalom to everyone. And thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. Wonderful share. Thank you you so much. Beautiful thoughts. Thank you so much. Thank you. Good job. And a long life to Ruthie for our father's the outside. Thank you. Thank you very much. It is 